Richard Radio begins in three, two, one. I mean, I don't know if there is or not. I don't know. I, I never thought about it. You know, maybe I'm off, but I don't know. Nothing comes to the forefront of my mind. You don't call them sinners? I, I never thought about it, but I probably don't. Give us some men who know the truth and who will declare the truth and who will declare from the housetops that the gospel is the power of God and salvation. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. And we'll get to Mr. 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 Friel in just a quick second. Welcome to Witness Wednesday on Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks in the studio. Of course, Todd is out on campus today at Kennesaw State University. And we're going to get to the witnessing quickly this week. No time to waste. Todd. This is Cole. And Cole, I'm really excited to talk to you. And let me tell you why. You actually walked up to me and said, you're over there at that pro-life display and you consider yourself sort of pro-life, but you're not a Christian. So I want you to be as honest as you can with me. Why did you want to talk to me? Uh, Well, they were just mentioning you were a pretty big Christian apologist. I, I don't know what that means, but you just seemed interesting to talk to and you're the only one here in a suit. Well, actually, no. So I'm intriguing because of a coat. That's it. That's it. You've hurt my heart. No, but I want to, I'm not going to let you off the hook with that. You still want to talk about Christianity. Why? At least historically speaking, it's interesting to me. And I just wanted to hear a bit more of the theology aspect of that. I mean, I've uh, admittedly, I've written on for some English classes, uh, Defending, actually, probably one of the more indefensible things in Christianity, which is the Crusades. You tried to defend them? Yeah. Why? They're in pretty normal stock standard medieval war. They were all pretty horrible back then. No, I, I, I agree with that. That was standard, and we don't get that. So I applaud you for getting, like, history was different back then. Part of that is comparing it to other medieval evidence, but, like, the theological aspect is mostly something I don't study as much. Like, I've... I've done like the history of the church and they offer classes like that here, especially with my minor, which is English language and literature, because a whole lot of it was written by Christians, even if you're really honest, dude. How old are you? Twenty one. Well done. Really? You understand things that a lot of people never get. So I I really applaud that. All right. The Crusades, however, I agree with you. They were standard fare, but I do not believe. And even though I I have no desire to defend the activities of the Roman Catholic Church, because I'm not, the Christian faith isn't about going to war. Of course not. Then I'm going to hit you hard. All right. I'm going to give it to you because I think you can take this. Okay. What is man's biggest problem? Mm, I mean, do you want me to list the seven deadly sins or? One word. Oof. Sin? Nope. Mm, I don't know. What? God is man's biggest problem and here's why he is holy and he is righteous the bible says the foundation of his throne is righteousness and justice in other words it's the essence of who he is just and holy and righteous and good now the reason that he is our biggest problem is because we're not I'm certainly not a great person or anything. Well, that's that's extremely honest, but it's it's worse than not being a great person. Okay. So for instance, have you ever committed adultery? No. Problem for you, Cole. Jesus said, you've heard it said of old, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in her heart. 
He took the law and he magnified it. We think... May I change my answer to yes, then? Exactly. See, you've looked with lust. You're an adulterer at heart because God examines the heart. See, so right away, not all that great becomes, wait a second, I'm actually getting worse. Have you ever murdered anybody? No. The Bible teaches that if you're angry at somebody unjustly, it's like committing murder in your heart. Yikes. Have you ever told something that was not true to another image bearer of God? In other words, you lied. Yeah. Have you ever blasphemed God's name by using it casually or as a curse word? Yeah, as much as I hate to admit it. Have you ever dishonored your parents? Ooh, probably. If you're ever naughty, you dishonored your parents. All right. I don't cool. remember some of the shenanigans little me got up to, but I'm sure there was some in there. <laughs> all right, so I think I just I just shared five laws with you. Yeah. All right. The issue is that we're not all that great, because here's our problem. I have a tendency to compare myself to uh, that guy over there. Okay. You know, I think I'm better than that person, or I'm certainly better than Genghis Khan or Adolf Hitler. So I justify myself by comparing myself to somebody who's worse than myself. So the Bible encourages us to use the law of God as a mirror, to hold it up to our face, to see ourselves in truth, to measure myself not against a standard of a criminal, but against God's standard. Okay. And so that's why the Bible says something that's kind of shocking. Nobody does good, no, not one. All sin falls short of his standard. So call it, it's, it's worse than, than not being great, because I'm glad you pay your taxes and you study, that's cool but it doesn't make you right with God. So when he calls your number someday, the Bible paints a very judicial scene for you, a courtroom scene where the books are opened and God, the just judge of all the world, who knows your thought life, who knows what you've done in darkness, who knows everything that you should have done but didn't, is gonna open up those books. What will you say to a holy God on that day when he goes to sentence you for eternity? What will be your way of getting out of your predicament? Hmm. I wish I had thought this was real to begin with, probably. The Bible describes we all have this fear of death. I know I did as a kid. I was Death man was super scary to me. I didn't know who God was. We didn't go to church. I just knew it's not going to go well for me. So I'm going after your conscience to reveal to you your biggest problem as you sit on this bench is with your maker. The wrath of God at this moment, the Bible says, it abides upon you because even though you're a nice guy, you're a polite guy, you're at war with God and he's willing to go to war with you and he will. The Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The book of Revelation, that kind of that apocalyptic, that's the genre of literature, my English minor friend. It describes people when Jesus returns on a day of judgment, they're going to beg the mountains to fall on them so they don't have to face the wrath of the Lamb of God. That's our biggest problem is Jesus Christ himself, this very God who will judge you and punish you and he will do what's right. And Cole, this is a little bit tough, but on the day that God judges you and casts you into a lake of fire, the entire creation will applaud him for doing so because it will have been right. And the same thing is true with me. But God is rich in mercy. God is a forgiving God, but there's a problem right out of the gate. God must punish you eternally, but God loves you 
and he desires to forgive you, but there's the tension. He's got to punish you. He can't overlook justice, but he loves you and desires to forgive you. Jesus breaks that tension. The second person of the Trinity took on human flesh, lived a perfect life. This is important. He lived a perfect life, never broke the law, never looked with lust, never dishonored his parents. And he volunteered. He wasn't a victim. He went to a cross intentionally because the Father sent him there to die for sinners like you. So the wrath of God is being poured out on the Son on behalf of sinners. So your rap sheet was laid on Jesus and God throttled him on your behalf. And in exchange, he gives you his righteousness. You give Jesus your rap sheet, he gives you his resume. And therefore, God who is just can forgive you and be just and the justifier of those who believe. So he can let you go. You can be dismissed from your case, but only because Christ died for you to satisfy justice. So, we know Jesus was on the earth for 33, 36 years, somewhere around there. Who held down the fort if he's gone in the flesh? Who held down the fort while he was gone? Yeah. Brilliant question. If you want the theological answer, it's called the hypostatic union of Jesus Christ. The ontological nature of God in flesh. Jesus, this is weird math. He was 100% God, 100% man. So when Jesus was in a manger having his diaper changed, he was upholding the universe by the word of his power. Fully God, fully man. And here's why that makes sense. The math sounds weird because it's like, wait a second, 100%, 100, that's 200%. You can't do that. All right. I mean, if you're God, I'm sure you can do just about that. That's it. true. You're right. But here's why it's crucial that that is true. Because you're a man. You need a representative. But you also need a representative who is a worthy sacrifice for your sins. So another person dying, a mere mortal dying for you, ain't gonna cut it. Your sins are that bad. You need a greater sacrifice. Jesus Christ, the God man, died for you while you were sinning. Okay. So it's possible with God and it's necessary if you and I have any hope of forgiveness. Where does the Holy Spirit, the third part of the Trinity come in in all this? The Bible at least says that when Jesus leaves after Easter and the Holy Spirit comes in his place, where, where does that work into that Trinity? God is three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons, one God. Jesus Christ died for your sins because he was sent by the Father. The Holy Spirit's role on this earth is to convict you of your sins, of righteousness and judgment, and to convert you and regenerate you, and then to actually dwell inside of you, increasingly conforming you into the image of Jesus Christ. So the Father sent the Son, the Son, he satisfies God's wrath, and the Holy Spirit is the one who does the converting and the sanctifying. He's also the one who inspired the Bible. So your salvation is Trinitarian. It requires all three parties for you to be saved. What do you say to the Unitarians who disagree to that? How is I just say they're wrong. Yeah, they're they're a little out there, but um a little out there. I guess that's a simple and kinder way to put it. This seems like a pretty good time to stop and catch our breath and take a break. We'll return with more from Todd and Cole. It's a Witness Wednesday on Wretched Radio. Just because Roe v. Wade is overturned, that does not mean the battle for life is over. Would you please consider supporting 
Freeborn Ministries, providing ultrasounds that genuinely save lives. That ultrasound changed everything for me. It really did. That made it all worthwhile to know that I was going to have a little blessing. And when she got here, it was just, oh my gosh. <laughs> Another woman who chooses life because she saw an ultrasound. Her life, and obviously her baby's life, changed. When I heard her heartbeat, I decided to keep her. And now my daughter's about to be three. I don't know where my life would be without her. The war for life continues to rage. Would you please engage in the battle and support preborn centers at preborn.org slash wretched preborn.org slash wretched. There's a reason we talk so much about biblical counseling around here. It's because it works. Transformed, our biblical counseling series, hosted by Dr. Greg Gifford and Dell Johnson, is returning for season number two. As a matter of fact, it is on sale right now, and Transformed Season 2 will demonstrate powerfully, I might add, that the Bible has solutions for our emotional problems. Doctors Johnson and Gifford don't merely teach biblical counseling, they show biblical counseling in action. In season two, you'll meet Christians that are struggling with the same things that likely you are. PTSD, anger issues, assurance, depression, discontentment, ADHD, abuse, anxiety, self-pity, and you'll see with your own eyes that the Bible is sufficient for all life godliness and emotional challenges. Transform Season 2. It's on sale right now at transformed.org. That's transformed.org. Confession, normally numbers aren't my favorite subject, but these numbers make me happy. MediShare is affordable biblical health sharing with twice the satisfaction rate of MediShare members versus traditional health insurance plans. The average family saves $500 per month. Over $3 billion worth of medical bills have been shared among MediShare members, which by the way, MediShare has been around for a quarter of a century. Don't forget, telehealth is available at MediShare and it will take you two minutes to receive a quote to see what you and your family could be saving every single month with MediShare. Affordable biblical health sharing. Please spend a very worthwhile two minutes at 844-34-BIBLE, 844-34-BIBLE. Know your church fathers. Athanasius was the Bishop of Alexandria in the 4th century. He was a champion of the church's fight against Arianism and was a chief author of the Nicene Creed. However, his orthodoxy did not equal popularity. Athanasius was exiled no less than five times, but Athanasius chose to honor God instead of man. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Welcome back to Wretched Radio. It's a Witness Wednesday. I am Jimmy Hicks, and let's jump right back into the chat with Todd and Cole. We've been having a nice, intelligent chat with lots of questions from Cole at Kennesaw State University. We have the New Testament, which is written by disciples of Jesus. 
How does that factor into certain parts of Mosaic law and stuff from the Old Testament? Jesus answered the question. He said, I did not come to abolish the law, which makes it sound like, is he not getting rid of it? He said, I came to fulfill the law. There are actually 613 Mosaic laws. It's a beating. Oh yeah, Leviticus is a big book and it's- It's a tough sled. Some of it's often sometimes unfairly cherry picked by people like me. I I agree with you, but you know what the point of Leviticus is for you? You should read Leviticus and go, I don't have a chance. If this is what God expects, I'm out. I'm disqualified. The New Testament says the law is a schoolmaster. And I've been trying to use the law on you, Cole. It's supposed to grab you by the ear and go, come to your senses, man. You need a savior. You need forgiveness to bring you to Christ. And now the, the Mosaic law, why the principles can still exist and be helpful as a curb and as a guide for us. Jesus fulfilled the law. The Christian gospel is about grace. You don't keep the laws to get saved. You keep God's precepts because you've been saved. Is that why some Christians don't follow all the Mosaic laws? I know they're shellfish and some of the more maybe out there ones. How deep of an answer do you want on this? Do you want like the surface or do you want a little deeper? A little deeper. There's three ways of looking at Old Testament laws. Some people divide them into three categories or three columns. You've got ceremonial laws. Okay, you've got uh, like the the, um, the the sacrificial system, you've got civil laws, you've got moral laws, and they divide them up into three columns and say, well, all the moral precepts still exist, but the other stuff is gone because we're not Israel and Jesus is the sacrifice. There's another way of looking at it. All of the Old Testament laws are in effect unless the New Testament says they're not or none of the Old Testament laws are in effect unless the New Testament says they are. Okay. Okay. Regardless, what that boils it ultimately down to is that the Old Testament laws that are moral standards, that are precepts that tell us about God's care. We should follow. Nine of the Ten Commandments are affirmed in the New Testament. So over and over again in the Old Testament, there were pictures pointing to Jesus of the one who gives us rest and salvation. And that is, by the way, one of the things that proves the Bible is true. Textual criticism proves it's accurate. The contents proves it's true. Fuzzy pictures fulfilled in Jesus Christ over and over again. It's too supernatural to be man-made. So how does that factor into some of the other uh, tales of like the Ark? Like they're also repeated in, is that, I mean, I know there's the Tower of Babel kind of thing. Is that other cultures trying to repeat the story of Noah and the Ark uh, from the original? Yeah, that's exactly right. I see. Because there's like in Babylonia, there's the great world basket kind of thing that happens. If you ever get a chance, read them. And what you're going to do if you do a comparative reading is that the story in the Bible is the one with the most specific details that actually isn't like crazy fantastic. I mean, it's like clearly God flooded the earth, but it all holds up to scrutiny. It's the most detailed one, which means the others are just knockoffs. And that's actually that's another proof the Bible is true. Every culture has some sort of flood legend. Why is that? That's weird. It'd be as if there was some big, great big dairy escapade that happened worldwide. You don't hear about it because it didn't happen, but a flood did, so you do. This might be a bit more pointed, but is the whole earth being 5,000 years old thing also, is that literal or I've always kind of figured it was more of a metaphor. I mean, how many years to a man is a year to a God kind of thing? Well, you just kind of quoted a Bible verse, all right? Peter talks about to God, a thousand years is like a day. 
but that has nothing to do with creation and everything to do with judgment. He's patient. You know why? I'm going to turn this just a little bit because the age of the earth thing we can talk about. But the more important issue is not when did God create the world, but that God is coming back and he's going to judge you. Now, why is he waiting? Because the Bible says that he is patient, desiring that all would come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants you to come to the knowledge of the truth right now. As you sit on this bench, if it's ever been unclear to you, salvation is now clear to you this day. Salvation is sitting right in front of you in the person of Jesus Christ. And this day, he says, is the day of salvation. Don't delay. Get into the ark. And the only door is Jesus Christ. Be saved. And I want to I want to kind of leave you with this thought, Cole. Don't don't miss this. This is not about fire insurance, right? It is certain God is going to judge the world, including you, which is all you really should be concerned about. That's going to happen. And he's going to cast people to hell. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to life. If you get on the narrow road or you think, I'll just wait until before I die, you, you don't get it yet. You should want to get on that road today because Jesus is on that road. He's the way. And you get to know your maker. Not William Shakespeare, not, not any of the romantic poets. You get to know God. And he doesn't just begrudgingly want to like put up with you. He wants you to know him. He wants you to understand who he is. He wants you to enjoy him. And Jesus is the one that makes that possible. His mission, he didn't trip into it. He came to die to save you. Did you ever study crucifixion and what that looks like? Uh, yeah, it's the great classic Roman execution method. The worst, historically yeah. the worst of the worst. Die from suffocating on your own blood, basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a pleasant way to go. Nope. Uh, and they did it to plenty of people as well as Jesus. I mean, they did it to Peter with the upside down. Or, no, Peter Was Peter stoned to death or was it that actually? The legend is he was crucified upside down. Yeah. Right. Uh, and some of that was also him not wanting to be portrayed as a Christ-like figure. I, I believe that's, that's 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 not biblical, but that's that's the legend of it. Uh, they also did to like Spartacus and his army. They crucified them and put them all on lot. They put them on a road to Rome. It was it was the most shameful thing that could happen to a man. I'm, I'm sharing this detail with you so you can appreciate the synergy of the Bible and the elegance of Scripture. You know, when you were crucified, they stripped you naked. Do you realize that? There was a reason for that. It's shameful to be, I mean, if you had to run around here, you'd be like ashamed. You know, there's something about being naked that's like you put on clothes because you cover up. There's a reason for that. In the garden, when human beings fell, we were naked and there was no shame. Sin introduced shame. We don't trust each other. We're not vulnerable with each other. And it's a reminder that we've fallen and we've sinned. That's why we cover up. Jesus was stripped to take your shame upon himself. I would even go further without getting too carried away. The Bible describes the effect of the fall as thorns and thistles. You will labor. That's why he had a crown of thorns put into his head. He was taking the curse off of you. So this is the important thing to know, Cole. God isn't just like set up this system as like a religious way. It is because God loves sinners. All right. God loves 
you. And God will love you even more than he does if you will humble yourself and put your trust in his son and believe in him. And then God will love you with the same intensity that he has for the son. And that's beyond your wildest imagination. And you can have that today. Don't wait till you die because then you don't even understand what God is offering. He's not just offering forgiveness. He's offering himself to you. So come unto him and he will give you rest. He will give you himself. He will forgive you. He will justify you. He will adopt you as a beloved child and he will one day glorify you because of his son. So now, dude, you can have other questions and you can go find the answers on the Google machine, but you have just heard what the Christian religion is about. Will you receive the good news of the gospel today or are you going to reject it? Well, I think I'm at least going to start looking into it. Maybe it might take me a little longer and maybe a few more questions on the Google machine, but I'm not unopposed to it. Well, I got to correct you. You are because the Bible says so. Jesus said, if you're not for me, you're against me. So you can say I'm not opposed, but unless you're actually for him, you are. And I share that with you so that you understand the urgency of this. All right. And as the sun shines on us and we enjoy this day, it's all a gift from God, all gifts to get your attention, all right? Don't let the day go by without thinking this through to the end, okay? Because you know enough, right? You really do. This is not an issue of intellect. This is an issue of conscience. This isn't an issue of knowledge. It's about your will. And let's all join together in praying for Cole. Cole had really good questions, and this chat was a really, really good example of where evangelism sometimes meets apologetics. But remember, apologetics is not evangelism. And if you didn't notice during this chat, if you'll go back and listen, Todd, while answering Cole's questions, steered the chat back to the biggest consideration. And that was Cole's salvation, and that was getting to the gospel. So take note of that, because sometimes our evangelistic pursuits can get taken off track really, really easily, and we all need to be mindful of how to get back on base when that happens. And we have a lot more witnessing to do on this Wednesday. This is Wretched Radio. This is Rich Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. Earlier this week, the Department of Health and Human Services Secretary Xavier Becerra said that his health department is evaluating the possibility of declaring a public health emergency. Why? Because apparently the administration thinks there aren't enough babies dying in abortions. Pro-life medical doctors in Congress have criticized the American Medical Association for embracing an increasingly pro-abortion agenda that endangers the lives of children. According to a report, several members of the U.S. House Doctors Caucus said that the American Medical Association is saying and doing two different things. Well, that's the government, so that's not a big surprise. Last week, Alabama Governor Kate Ivey signed an executive order that would ensure the enforcement of the state's religious freedom amendment. That amendment actually went into Alabama state constitution in 1998, and it guarantees that all individuals and businesses freedom from government coercion. Apparently, the executive order was needed because the state had not been enforcing the amendment. 
An official body with the UMC recently announced that they plan to give a grant to an LGBT advocacy group, even though currently the denomination's rules prohibit the funding of groups that promote homosexuality. This is why more than 1,800 churches left the UMC just last year alone. I would be willing to bet that number increases even more this year. Earlier this week, former President Donald Trump rolled out a proposal that would protect children from what he called, quote, left-wing gender insanity by barring chemical and surgical procedures meant to change the sex of confused minors. Trump declared a war on radical gender theory, and he blasted the Biden administration's cruel policies on so-called gender-affirming care and vowed to stop federal agencies from promoting such policies. I can't find anything about that I disagree with. Recently, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis announced a plan to abolish all DEI departments, coercive diversity statements, mandatory diversity training, and identity-based preferences at Florida public universities. And that's an example of a governor keeping promises and making positive changes. And this is an example of what this whole identify as culture is doing. Arlisha Boykins, a 22-year-old former assistant coach of the Churchland JV girls basketball team in Portsmouth, Virginia, impersonated a 13-year-old player and played for the team. The student she impersonated was out of town at a club basketball tournament. According to a report, the JV head coach and the head coach of the varsity team have both been fired. This is exactly what happens when you make laws allowing people to quote-unquote identify as whatever or whoever they want. More Ratchet Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Important dates in Christian history. 312 AD, Emperor Constantine is converted after seeing a vision of the cross. He becomes a defender and advocate of the oppressed Christians. After his death, Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire, which endured in some form for another 1,500 years. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. And welcome back to Witness Wednesday on Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Todd, as always, out on campus this week at Kennesaw State University. So let's check back with him right now. This is Moira. And Moira is going to now tell us everything you know about the holiday known as Easter Go. I know it has something to do with, um, like, in Christianity, the, um, like, resurrection of Jesus, right? Um, But that's, like, literally, like, all I know other than bunnies and eggs. Because that's kind of the big deal that everybody does. But that's good, actually. That's more than a lot of people have told us they know. So you did really good. Okay, so the resurrection of Jesus, and you said Christian. So I'm going to guess you're not a Christian. Nope. (laughs) Are you anything religious-wise? No. Uh, Agnostic. Yeah. Right, so Moira, let me ask, if there's a possibility that God exists, what would be the standard that this God would need to meet for you to acknowledge that he does exist? Well, I haven't, I know people go on a lot of things based on faith, but honestly, I believe more so in what I can see, I suppose. So like until like something is like directly proven to me, I suppose, then I can't really take that stuff based on faith of other people, you know, so I don't think I believe in something until it like directly involves me, I suppose. Let me just see if I can provide that standard for you with this bench. All right. Do you know 
where this bench came from? No. Did you see anybody make it? Mm-mm. But do you believe that somebody did make this bench? Yeah. Yeah, we kind of intuit when we see something that's designed, there's a designer. So I would suggest to you, Moira, that as I look at the creation and I see the buds on the trees, the birds, the bees, human beings, the beautiful sunrises and sunsets, I notice that it's all designed. And therefore, I conclude there must be a designer. Otherwise, we wouldn't have all of this wonderfully designed creation. So in other words, because there's a creation, therefore, there is a creator. What do you think of that reasoning? I don't think just because something exists, someone had to directly create it. Then what would be your explanation for the amazingly intricate design that you observe every day? I think I would just explain it as a planet with an atmosphere working with a terraformed planet. Perhaps evolution would be your explanation. Yeah. My question, though, for you, Moira, would be, you look at the bench and you just automatically know there's a bench maker. You see a building, even though you didn't meet the architect or see the construction take place, you know that it did because it is so designed and it, it is so thoughtfully put together. We just automatically intuit if there's a microphone, there's a microphone maker. Wouldn't that logic carry through with the earth, with you, how intricately designed you are, that there must be somebody who put all of this together? Isn't that reasonable? I understand your reasoning, but I don't think so. Like the things that we know are like made by hand, like people make buildings, people made the light, the bench. We know that there was someone that made that. We don't know that there was someone who like made earth or people or anything. Then Moira, just explain to me, where does the logic or where does the reason fall down? Like you mentioned earlier, I do believe in evolution. So I just think we've been, uh, we've evolved to basically just fit our world. So if I asked you the question, do you believe there's an afterlife? What would you say? Possibly. You're agnostic on that too. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. (laughs) Sorry, what do you think it is? I'm honestly not sure, but part of me, I think, uh, believes uh, at least in some form in reincarnation. So I I know I'm agnostic on a lot and I just, I don't think I know much, but I think that in some way, our souls at least go on after we perish. (laughs) May I ask, the reincarnation program, who's running that program? Who decides who goes where? How do you think if reincarnation happens, Who's making the decisions about reincarnation? I don't think there has to be anyone making the decisions about it necessarily. I think there's a possibility that exists. I think that basically it's just a cycle. And in a way, when we die, I kind of hope at least we all just return to the cycle and it just kind of autonomously does what it will. So if you were reincarnated, what would be your guess? Where would you come back or what would you come back as? I have no idea, honestly. I would assume that it could be anything if reincarnation does really exist. So I don't know. So based on your worldview, Moira, do you think that you possess an optimistic or a pessimistic view of the world? Um, honestly, I'd say pessimistic just because of like uh, my life personally, I suppose. I haven't been very lucky in life. That's intriguing. Um, life has been hard. Yeah. 
sorry. I don't know what it is, but I'm, I'm sorry to hear. Let me circle back just a moment to my original question, which was Easter. I was kind of intrigued. And I was trying to figure out why when you said it's a Christian holiday, but you kind of you kind of giggled a little bit. You laughed about it. Is there something about Christianity that you find off putting? Well, a little bit, I have to admit, I just haven't had the best experience with people in the Christian religion before. Were they mean? Yeah. All right. So you've, your conclusion then about Christianity is whoever it is that they worship must not be worth it. If the followers are not very kind, I wouldn't say that necessarily. I do think that obviously some Christians are just fine and they're nice people. I don't have anything against like Christians as a whole. I just think Christianity in general, I don't have the best view of. Based on people, is there anything about its beliefs that are troublesome to you? Not necessarily, except for the people who believe that they can like subjugate other people because of it and that people are lesser than them if they don't believe in it. And those are some people I've dealt with before. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, don't name names, obviously, but sh tell me what that look, how did they demonstrate that they were trying to, in your words, subjugate people? They were trying to, I guess the best way to say it is aggressively evangelize. How they went about it was just terrible and they were being insulting to a lot of people as well. Give me an example. I'd really, I'd like to hear. Because I'm, I'm a Christian and I like to share my faith with people, but I don't want to make the mistakes that it sounds like some people made in your life. So what did the, what were they saying? There's a good example. A couple of years ago, actually, just right over there on the green on Valentine's Day, there was a couple of people with uh, signs that were very aggressive and insulting. And they were yelling a lot of stuff that fits that mold. <laughs> I've seen those guys. Yeah, I've kind of dealt with them a few times. Yeah, if we're talking about the same ones, I don't think they're a very good representation of Christianity. I think they're they're pretty off-putting. And, and more than that, I think the word I would use to describe them is really unreasonable. I would agree with that, yeah. I, I want to try some reason with you. And I want you to tell me, when I'm done with this reasoning, if I'm being the same type of off-putting, offensive person that you've experienced here. Okay. I want to, I want to go back to Easter just for a moment. The significance of that holiday. Do you know what it is? What, like, why do Christians celebrate that? From what I understand, like I mentioned, it does like celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. What was the point of Jesus dying and then Easter rising from the dead? What transpired? Well, I know he was crucified. And I know a lot of people say, like, he died for your sins, that sort of thing. Other than that, I'm not really sure, I suppose. No, actually, that's pretty good. That, that's about right. Okay. Jesus died for our sins. And that presupposes something, that you and I are sinners. That's what that's assumed in that statement. So I would ask you that question. Would you say that you, Moira, are a sinner? I don't really know what, uh, like, how to define sin. Let's try the Ten Commandments. We're all pretty familiar with that, right? Oh, you don't know the Ten Commandments? Oh, it's all right. Ten Commandments. You've heard, you've heard the name of Moses, correct? Yeah, I I, I know in like that he got like a couple of tablets, but and I know that they had some like general rules written on them, but I don't know what they are. Yeah. All right, that you should love the Lord your God above all things, that you shouldn't make any graven images, and that you shouldn't use His name in vain. Ring a bell? Yeah. 
I've definitely like heard of them in general, but I don't really know that much about them directly. They get a little more personal, though. They turn the corner a little bit from theological, it seems, to more practical stuff like you should honor your father and mother. You should not commit murder. You should not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Do those ring a bell? Yeah, like general like rules, morality kind of thing. Yeah, those would the, they would be laws, commandments. If those are God's laws, have you followed all of those laws? No. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's see that so if we use that standard, then the biblical word would be then we're sinners, we're lawbreakers. Sure. Okay, based on the commandments. Okay. So let me just reason with you. Remember, we're going to Easter though. So you and I break God's commandments. We don't love him the way that we should. And we don't honor our parents all the time. We can be disobedient, say bad things about them or to them. We desire things that don't belong to us. Sometimes we have really angry thoughts about people that are not kind. And Jesus said that's like murdering in your heart. So Moira, the two of us sitting on this bench then, if when death comes, if God opened the books on you and me, the laws to see if we've kept them, would God see that you, Moira, have been innocent or guilty of keeping his commandments. And break. Well, does Moria consider herself innocent or guilty of sinning against God? She's an agnostic, an admitted agnostic, so how is she going to respond to that question? Find out next on Wretched Radio. Cool, very cool. The Tomorrow Clubs now have 106 clubs in Romania. This year marks the celebration of the 25th anniversary of our ministry. But also, it is a very important milestone for Tomorrow Clubs Romania. Now, Tomorrow Clubs Romania has 106 clubs. That means 106 villages are hearing the gospel proclaimed to the kids who get saved. They bring the gospel home. Parents get saved and local churches get strengthened. Would you please consider supporting the Tomorrow Clubs? Not only do they have hundreds of clubs in Romania, Ukraine, Russia, Albania, all over Eastern Europe, and now in Africa, would you please consider what might you do to bring the gospel to both Africa and to Eastern Europe? Tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Hey, thank you so much for joining us here on Wretched Radio today. You know, I get the question quite a bit. Why do you guys do the things that you do there at Wretched? And maybe you wondered the same thing. And I'll answer that question by sharing a number that I actually read just the other day. Out of around 8 billion people worldwide, roughly 30% claim to be Christian, which means 70% of the world's population is on a collision course with hell. And that is why we do what we do here at Wretched. Our goals are to evangelize the lost, equip the saints, and strengthen the local church. And we can't do any of it without the help of our gospel partners. If you're not currently one of our gospel partners, would you prayerfully consider becoming one? It's through the help of our gospel partners that we're able to do what we do and reach millions every single day with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So head to wretched.org slash donate and find out exactly how we can partner together. Wretched. Amazing grace, amazing gospel. For your consideration, not one but two ways that you could strengthen the local global church, the Masters Academy International, training men in Los Angeles who then return to their home countries and open up mini seminaries 
to train pastors in their native land. That strengthens the local church. But there's another way you can do just that. We are partnering with the Masters Academy International to send Bibles to the Philippines. Not just any Bible, MacArthur Study Bibles to believers in TMAI-trained churches. These efforts strengthen the local church. Would you please consider how many Bibles you might send? How many seminaries you might support overseas? To learn more, visit wretched.org pastor. Or if you like the Bible sending idea, wretched.org Bible. Books of the Bible. The book of Joshua tells of the conquest and division of the promised land. There are two consistent themes in Joshua, God's faithfulness and his aversion to unfaithfulness. When you wonder how committed God is to his people or doubt the seriousness of idolatry, let Joshua remind you that your God is a jealous God. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. And we are back. It's a Witness Wednesday on Wretched Radio. And today, Todd has been out at Kennesaw State University speaking with students. He's been chatting with Moria, a self-proclaimed agnostic. And when we left off with their chat, Todd had just gone through the law and posed the question to her if she would consider herself innocent or guilty of breaking God's law. And as an agnostic, how is she going to respond to that question? Well, let's all find out right now the two of us sitting on this bench then when death comes if god opened the books on you and me the laws to see if we've kept them would god see that you moira have been innocent or guilty of keeping his commandments as i understand the commandments probably guilty haven't necessarily followed all of those rules i haven't either i haven't either and that's why when you see these christians that act all condescending you, you wonder if, if they understood that they are lawbreakers too. All right, so we're still going to Easter, so hang in there with me. So you and I would be found guilty of breaking God's laws, and if he's just, and if he's a judge that never wavers on justice, and if he sentences you and me for eternity, the choices biblically would be heaven with God, or hell receiving God's justice for our law breaking. Based on the standard even of the Ten Commandments, you and I are in kind of a scary spot. We'd be going not to the good place, but to the bad place, right? If what I'm saying is true and accurate. All right, now let's go back to Easter. I think I understand what you're getting at here because you've kind of jogged my memory on some stuff. Uh, What you're getting to is that Easter is about like rebirth and like forgiving sins and that sort of thing yeah exactly yeah and that's right but but specifically like this god the creator of the heavens and the earth sees everything that we do knows everything that we think and because he's just he must punish guilty criminals but the bible says god is rich in mercy and he loves to forgive guilty criminals But there's a bit of tension. See if you track with me on this. God must punish criminals, but God loves to forgive criminals. But if he just lets people go who deserve to be punished, then he's not just. So there's some tension that exists here. So God's plan was to send his son, Jesus, lived a perfect life, never broke the commandments. And then he was beaten, hung on a cross where he was receiving the punishment that you and I deserve. He died in our place 
But three days later, he rose from the dead, demonstrating he has the power over the grave. And what was happening was that sins were being paid for. He was shedding his blood for the forgiveness of sins of people who would believe in him so that if you or I put our trust in him, in Jesus Christ, when we die, God will find us not guilty because our fine has been paid by Jesus Christ. So he gives us forgiveness and he even gives us his righteousness. So we give him our sins and he grants us forgiveness because of what he did on Easter Sunday. So this would be my last question, maybe. <laughs> what I just said, is it true? I know you are like going off of like a lot of like what's written in the Bible, a lot of what people believe about what happened. Ultimately, I just, I'm sorry, I just don't, don't believe in the same thing. I wasn't asking if you believed in Jesus, but what I just explained, the question is, is that the truth? Did Moses really give some commandments? Did Jesus really live on this planet? Did he really die for sinners and rise from the dead? That's what I'm, I'm not asking if you trust it. I'm just asking, is my recollection of history true? I think Jesus was probably a real person, but I don't believe the stories are true. This was what I'd leave you with then. You know those people who maybe were just obnoxious? I'm sorry. They just shouldn't be that way. Somebody who followed... For all Christians, yeah. I know that. It's just hard to like to reconcile everything. I don't disagree with you. I, I would say two things about that. First of all, we're commanded by Jesus to actually love our enemies, not just people who are nice to us, but even people who are cruel. So somebody who's not acting like that is not being a good Christ follower. Be careful of your of your thinking through the issue in that if you judge the truth about Jesus Christ based on some of the actions of some of his presumed followers, you might make a wrong decision about him. I would encourage you just try to push those people aside for a moment and just consider the claims that Jesus Christ made so that you judge based on him as opposed to our bad behavior as followers? Would that be a reasonable consideration? I understand your reasoning. And like I said, I, I do respect, you know, Christians who are good people, but it just doesn't track with me. I just don't believe in it. I don't know if you are like a political person at all, but let's just, <laughs> let's, okay, uh, okay, so who would be a politician you like? And we're not gonna debate politics. I just wanna <laughs> use this as an example. Who would be a politician you like? It's hard to say I completely like a politician. There's a lot around all of them. In general, someone who I think is making a, uh, some good moves is uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. So let's just say you were trying to tell me that she's a wonderful politician. And I said, but you know what? I met somebody who's one of her followers and she wasn't nice. Therefore, I conclude that she is not worthy of my consideration or vote. You'd say, well, you know, I'm sorry for what that person did, but that person wasn't representing her. So just think about her policies, think about her and render your judgment based on her, not on some bad behavior of some of her followers. That's, that's the illustration that I would share with you about Jesus Christ. Consider his claims. Don't be tainted by the bad behavior of some of his followers. It's hard not to be, but I, I do understand your logic. The thing is, in addition to like the 
bad Christians, I guess you would say, people who uh, just have been mean in the name of Christianity, that sort of thing. In addition to that, I just, I guess just personally, I can't reconcile the all of the beliefs of Christianity, so I'm not sure. All right. Well, at least we were able to sit on this bench. I'm a Christian, you're not. We've got a difference of opinion, but we got along very pleasant and I enjoyed the conversation. So we, we proved that people can get along. Yeah, of course I respect people who are like nice and everything like that, no matter what religion they are, no matter anything about them. Okay, well, at least I hope that you'll give this some consideration. Maybe just think it through a little bit as you go about your day. Just something to chew on. Sure. I mean, you made some good points. I follow your logic. Yeah. All right. Moira, thank you. That was Moira. And whilst we couldn't see her face, I could hear a lot going on inside of her brain and inside of her heart and inside of her memory that has caused her for various reasons to not give the claims of Jesus Christ much consideration. Could I have pressed harder? I don't think I could have because I was actually simply trying to get to the finish line of being able to share the good news that Jesus Christ died for her a sinner without her getting upset based on her past experiences. She's clearly been disturbed by some Christians who she perceived as being unreasonable, whether they were or not. I've seen some of the open air preachers out here and they can be awful. Frankly, they can be terrible open air preachers. Regardless, this was a tender heart. There were all kinds of indications that this is somebody who is hurting, actually. And that is why I would like to encourage you to consider having your church come to a university campus week after week after week. I'm speculating to a degree, but I've seen this before. Somebody like Moira could use a friend. Somebody like Moira could use some Christians to love her. Somebody like Moira could use a local church to help her and to spend time with her. And if you come to a university campus on a regular basis and you set up camp in the same shop every single time, you're going to bump into Moira again and again and you can reach out and it might take time but if you would invest into people like moira i'm telling you we i don't know talked for 20 minutes about religious things and clearly she's not excited about christianity and i could be wrong about this too take it or leave this evaluation but my observation is that she was just willing to talk to virtually anybody who would engage with her. And it's not just Moira. We see this all the time on university campuses. Even when we were done, could be wrong. Seemed like she was willing to even stick around and maybe just chat some more, even though she was late for work. If I'm wrong about Moira, I can't be wrong about everybody that we talk to on these campuses who is just like that. Please, if your local church is near a university campus, do not wait for the students to darken your doorsteps. If you want to do events to invite them in, okay, that's up to you. But I would like to suggest to you, we get into our boats and we paddle to these campuses and we start fishing. And I'm telling you, you will be a successful fisherman. Even if somebody doesn't repent on a bench, nevertheless, 
you can be a witness to Jesus Christ that helps somebody like Moira have a better understanding of Christianity through the experience of better Christians. So, for you, if you've got a church near a university campus, what are you waiting for? Until tomorrow, go serve your king.